Hey, welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kohansky, recording out of Studio 1A at Exacta Corporation in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Think Exacta, think differently. Today on today's show, I am really, this is a guy I've been hunting down for a while, and I've been to his restaurant, and it's awesome. Um, he has fresh, locally sourced food year-round. 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 I want to welcome Dave Swanson, chef owner of Bray's Restaurant. Thank you for being on Local First Podcast. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. Hey, I know we've been talking in, you know, off-air here, and we should have been recording, but, you know, we're going to have that same kind of fun here as well. So let's get into a little bit of your backstory and, and you know, who is Dave Swanson and, and, you know, what led you to becoming, you know, a restaurateur? Well, to start off, I am from Illinois. Let's get that out there. <laughs> the we won't we hold it against you. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people still do, <laughs> yeah. you know? I'm still known by the FIB moniker. So, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I've been uh, always interested in food. My parent, my mom, my parents, you know, my mom was a good cook. She always cooked things from scratch. My dad was a gardener, an avid gardener. And so we always had fresh food around and things from the garden. So we can always appreciate that kind of immediacy of tasty food. Um, my grandmother, you know, um, she would just make like, you know, desserts from scratch and things of that na nature, rhubarb growing in the back mm. and raspberries, stuff like that. So I always had a fondness for that kind of freshness as comparatively to friends growing up after school, we'd go to their house and they would have like Entenmann's donuts, which, you know, at that age, you, you like that kind of stuff. But, you know, now looking back, I was really... Um, you know, glad my parents would make me try artichokes and try asparagus. You know, they they said you just had to try it one time, and that was that. And it's like so that was a, that was a nice thing to you know, you know, try an artichoke when you're you know six years six of age, year, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not your usual fare of a six year old, but no. it just kind of you know, kind of you know, paved the way for my appreciation appreciation of food. And to seeing how like dad would grow things in the garden and just like, you, you know, it wasn't something that was immediate. You didn't plant a seed, then the next day you would have a tomato. It, it took a while. So that kind of. It's um, kind of an acquired taste. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah, a lot. I mean, the food in general is acquired taste from what we are, you know, as animals, you know, what we are, you know, predisposed to like, you know. We're we're trying to you know salt, sugar, sugar. fat. Yeah, you know, I mean, those those things that we that we crave, you know, and and, and it's tough. I know. I was like, is. I didn't really appreciate food until I got into the army when I was forced to eat when I was hungry. <laughs> and MREs is kind of got me out of my comfort zone. I was like, if I can eat MREs out in the field in the middle of nowhere, I can eat anything. Yeah. How, how, however you come to that point is fine. You know, that's like the culinary school. Like whatever brings people to the, you know, the culinary school of fires cooking, totally fine with me as long as they want to do it. And, and that's kind of, you know, the kind of the joys of, of teaching people how to cook is they really come with an idea of like, oh yeah, I want to do this. I, you know, we remodeled our kitchen. We have this stuff, or you know, I've been cooking avidly all my life. Or hey, uh, I'm, you know, I graduated from college. I have a new job. I have no idea how to even boil water, and now you know I can't go out every night and spend that kind of money. Uh, so it's just however they they come to me. It's like, it's it's great to have that uh, that kind of relationship to say, okay, yeah, you know, you're here. Let's talk about food and. Let's have fun. No doubt. That's the fun thing about it. And it's, I like, where did you get your training from and where did it all come from? I know you've been all over the world training, you know, explain, you know, to the listeners, you know, what you did prior to, you know, opening up your own restaurant and kind of some of the challenges that you had to overcome. 
Yeah, so I started out as a dishwasher uh, when I was 15. My sister was a server at a restaurant. Uh, this is in northern Illinois. And so, you know, she was like, you lazy bum, you need a job, so I'll get you a job. So I started <laughs> as a dishwasher. And the chef there was a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. And so I just took a fondness for that. He was uh, something that he kind of showed me the ropes of doing some prep work. So when I was downtime on dishwashing, I would help break down ducks or chickens or something like that. So just kind of, you know, just, hey, I, I want to keep myself busy, so let's do this. And so that's uh, kind of my first kind of, you know, unveiling of what the, you know, restaurant working at a restaurant is, is all about. And so then I um, just kept on that path. I, you know, kept on working at different restaurants. I went to a culinary school called Kendall College. At that point in time, it was in Evanston, Illinois, on a northwestern campus. It has moved west to Goose Island in an old Sara Lee plant. Uh, but that's where I started, um, you know, kind of my um, foray into really kind of uh, wanting to be in a restaurant and wanting to really kind of, this would be my my life. And, you know, starting setting the goals of, okay, I really want my restaurant, my own restaurant. How do I do this? And so uh, going through those things of working in, uh, then going up from the first restaurant to start working in French restaurants in Northern Illinois, from uh, Lutidi de Paris to Carlos to La Francais, kind of in that, in that time, working at French restaurants was the end all be all of cooking. It's kind of how, you know, the food in this country in the 70s and 80s started to get its hold by hiring European chefs to come here work at resorts and stuff like 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 Lake Geneva Club and stuff like that of Jean Bonchet. And that's where you only had really good food was those kind of clubs or when Jean Bonchet left to open his own restaurant in La Francais, that's where you kind of get good food. Nowadays it seems kind of, you know, you can stumble on any street corner and get good food, you know, in Milwaukee, which is a great thing to have. Yes, it is. Um, but that's kind of how it was in that in that day, that all, you know, young cooks and stuff like that wanted to work in French restaurants, and that's how it was. And so that's that's how, you know, I worked at La Francais for a little over, you know, six years. And then um, I started, you know, trying to then figure out what I really wanted to do with my own type of restaurant. And so I traveled around a little bit, worked at Commander's Palace in New Orleans, traveled to different cities and did, you know, stages, which is basically you have a knife kit and you work for free and kind of just understand what that, you know, uh, city does or those chefs do and kind of just learning from that. Traveled to Europe a little bit to France and had like uh, uh, traveling with the parents and kind of just, you know, going to France and seeing things and went to Le Cordon Bleu for uh, for a two-day class there and kind of learning how to how to make things and and just seeing other aspects of it and buying some cookbooks in, in, in French to kind of spur me on to understand what these what these terms mean and stuff like that. So that was all kind of that process to, to get where I am at now. What was the, some of the toughest parts of the challenges going through all of that? Well, at that point in time, uh, like working at La Francais, which was prominently my, you know, that six years um, of working there was kind of the laying the groundwork for where I'm at now. And so it was method technique. It was a lot of foreign people, a lot of Europeans working there. English wasn't the first language being spoken in kitchens. So it was um, French and Spanish being spoke a lot. So it was learning that that curve and being the only American in the kitchen, it was one of those things of just kind of seeing how um, that, that was a challenge. 
and just the mindset of things. That's where I was first exposed to some of the things I enjoy now, like Formula One racing and like soccer. You know, that's like that. That's that's what their passion was. So they, uh, in our time frame, we used to start at seven in the morning. And then we used to have a lunch break at like three and most of the guys would go outside and go play soccer and stuff like that. And then we'd start back up at service at, you know, at four and work all the way till, uh, you know, 12 or one in the morning and start that cycle all over again. So it was, it was, you're kind of, you know, being, that was your family it was working six days a week, those kind of hours, Sunday sleeping. And then start, started all over again <laughs> on Monday. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of the family. And then they were around that, you know, that's, you spent 18 hours with these people, you know, and it's like, so you got to, you know, what they wanted to do. They want to talk about soccer. They want to talk about Formula One. They want to talk about these things. So it's either that or in food. So that was kind of, you know. Did you get I, to learn a language? I did. I mean, I learned a lot of the bad side of, you know, French and Spanish. <laughs> so I can, I, I can, you know, I'm fluent in that. Yeah. I'm not fluent as far as, you know, navigating around just you know, going to Paris and <laughs> streets of Paris. But, um, I mean, it has helped me immensely. And it that's kind of the really, uh, I mean, really grooming aspect of, of going working in restaurants like that. And then now from all of that, you started up your own restaurant, Braze, and, you know, You know, tell the listeners about that. I know I've been there, and I I enjoyed my time there, and and the food. And from what I understand, you get your 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 food sourced locally and, and fresh. Yeah, so working in that French model, European model, I mean, it's nothing new to get food uh, from local farmers and fresh, and you know, from the local markets. And that's kind of was raised on, so it's nothing new. And then uh, when I was working in those fr- those French restaurants, like I didn't want to have those huge uh, staffing issues. Like we had thirty eight chefs at at La France, wow. so a lot of people, and you know, it sat ninety people. So that was, it was b- big, you know. And I didn't want that. So I wanted I wanted something more. I wanted to use American ingredients and work on that kind of stuff. And the one restaurant I was drawn to was Sanford in Milwaukee. So I met Sandy D'Amato a few times working at different events in Chicago. And so that was the first time to see like, okay, I really want to work at a restaurant like that. And we kind of kept in touch for about a year, year and a half. And then, um, uh, so lo and behold, he brought me up to be the chef uh, of Sanford. And so I worked there for six years. And that was kind of like, this is the kind of restaurant I want to be at. Smaller American ingredients and really kind of um, paying homage to that. I didn't want a huge staff and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I, I wanted to kind of focus my restaurant dreams on. And so, um, you know, with that French system of knowing how to source the food locally, um, I just started exploring more of that and understanding what farmers, you know, what farmers are in Wisconsin. And in, in lonely, like when we were in Le France, we used to use a lot of farms from Wisconsin. So, because there was a lot in Illinois at that point in time, it was just corn and soybean, mostly. Right. Not entirely, but but mostly. And so when I came up to Milwaukee, it was just more of going to farmer's markets, seeing who's growing things, Hmong farmers, regular traditional CSA farms, whatever it may be, and just creating more of those contacts and, you know, having um, a gentleman just grow quince for you or having somebody just raise asparagus or something like that. So just get, creating those contacts. And that's what really got me into, like, understanding, like, the freshness and having those relationships where, you know, with a broadline purveyor, like a big, you know, Cisco, Gordon Food Service, all that kind of stuff. It's just like you don't have that kind of relationship as, as you do with a farm. And so that's kind of really spurred me on to do what I'm doing at Bray's Restaurant is having this uh, focus on local food, really kind of being it, uh, you know, a, a regional 
you know, kind of Wisconsin aspect type focus of, of food and cuisine. How did that affect your menu and what you prepared getting your food local from? I know you got, I know there's, I, I live in a very diverse neighborhood where I have everybody from every background, Hmongs, the, you know, the, you know, whites, Polish, you know, Italians, and we eat all different, but we come together and share our food, which I love. So how has that aspect of, of getting your food locally affected your menu? Well, in regards to uh, working on the menu, um, as far as working with local food, obviously Wisconsin, we have a short growing season, and I wanted to pay homage to the farmers here and, and really create that regional Wisconsin-type food. So, you know, there's kind of these romantic stories we have or kind of visions of a chef with a you know, red wagon going to a marketplace and, and buying products, going back to the restaurant and, and cooking those. And those are, you know, it's a very romantic gesture, but it's not true. It's not reality. Because if I put stuff in the red wagon and, and go back to the restaurant, if I open on Saturday at 5 p.m., by 6 o'clock, I'd be out of food. So I know to really do this and really kind of go to the, that next level, I have to develop a system for that. And that requires a lot of farms. That requires a lot of meat. requires a lot of vegetables. And it requires m more space than I have physically at any one restaurant. So to know I wanted to do this, I had to create a system. And the system was... Uh, distribution system, the RSA, and with local food, education. Because when you have people um, buying stuff from farmer's markets from the CSA farms, having things like celery root or kohlrabi, and they have no idea what to do with that. So I, ne I needed to have an educational component with it. That's what the culinary school was about. And then the restaurant itself, having just that focal point of here's something I, I can, you know, five days a week, open up for dinner, serve the food that I want to serve doing the things that are seasonal. When you have a two-week um, season of, of strawberries, get all the strawberries you can. You eat them, you know, and then, like, it's sick of them. Right. And then, and then you want to <laughs> preserve them. So you want to, you know, chop them, freeze them, use them for different things later on. And that's how I approach all, every seasonality of vegetable is really working on buying a lot at one time, storing stuff, whether it's frozen, whether we can it, whether we preserve it in some way, shape, or form, and working at each season of stuff. So when we go through corn, tomatoes, it's the same process. And so just to put it in scale of things, you know, we go through 8,000 pounds of carrots in a year. So we can't store 8,000 pounds of carrots at one time. So we have to go to different farms, buy them, and we have to do different things with them. So it's, it's, it's you know, on the grander level of things. So it really changed the perspective of I didn't want to use broadline purveyors, so I had to figure out how to do it myself, and that was where the RSA, Restaurant Supported Agriculture, came into play by me knowing I want to do this. Are there other chefs that want to do this as well? And can we you know, combine our buying power and then buy things in bulk to help farmers out and to make the, our bottom line more viable? Because it is a very you know, low margin business you know you're not talking about um uh, every hundred hours spent you're not talking about you know a dollar you're talking about two to three cents the bottom line so you know when you have uh employees you know pulling out 32 paper towels to wipe their hands with after they're washing their hands with no you only need one paper towel you know <laughs> these, are, these are things you know they, they, they don't realize they don't that now it, yeah but when they go to their own restaurant they're like oh my god dave i can't believe you know this like you know you're talking about running the water all the time or something like that it's like now i i do stuff instinctively because it's it's you know you're talking about these small little margins that we have to work with 
And that's kind of like studying local food, how to make that work. Really large volumes of this stuff, helping the farmers out, helping restaurant tours out, and hopefully we can create a new food system or or more you know viable food system for people that want to actually prescribe to this type of you know venue. If you could go back in time and you know give some advice to your younger self, what would it be? <laughs> Not going to restaurant business. <laughs> 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 Talk about Formula One a little more, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe go in that world. Uh, um, no, it's, I mean, it just really depends. Um, I mean, I love what I do. I love the restaurant that I have. I love the staff that I have. So those are things that are all viable. Um, there would be, th- yeah, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, what I would do differently. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd make some different, different. Um, you know, uh, how I would get more chefs on board with the IRSA or farmers on board with the IRSA, I would change that. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a very direct person. I'm a very honest person. So when I see somebody greenwashing or doing things that are not necessarily um, ethical or honest, you know, I'm going to call somebody out on that. And when I do that, you know, some people don't like that, but I, I just think if you're going to, you know, like truth in advertising in the restaurant industry, we don't have that. Somebody could say, Hey, this is a local chicken from XYZ farm. Who's really making sure that it is? There's nothing that, you know, holds that restaurant to do that. And there's been restaurants caught lying and, and like, you know, say they source from this farm and the, and the farm is the only person that could really say, hey, I've never sold these chickens to this, this restaurant. So somebody's lying here. You know, so it's one of those things of seeing that. Um, so I would have a, a better grasp of really working with people on that level. I'm, I'm more of a direct person and just kind of, you know, and that has kind of been my, you know, kind of. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I like I mean, that. For, better or worse, you know? Hey. So let's let's move on to a different topic that you have here at your restaurant. And you have a culinary school and training for individuals that want to learn more about cooking and techniques and all that stuff like that. You know, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So like I knew education, as I said earlier, was a, a key component of local food. Again, people, I would write recipes for farmers because they in their CSA box, they would put different vegetables in there. And a lot of times people would just know how to use tomatoes in the greens in there, but not anything else. And so I started write, writing recipes for farmers to do that. So educational was a huge component of it. And so I started doing in back in 2004 by doing um, classes at farms, going to farms, walking around with the farmer, harvesting some ingredients on that farm, and then going back to a tented area on the farm and demoing how to cook those items for people. And so now, you know, fast forward, you know, um, a number of years later, 14, 15 years later, we have a facility that's in the restaurant. It's separate from the, um, every part of the restaurant. It's own little facility. And we teach people how to work with local food and how to cook. And so we have two types of classes. We do a braised basis Braise basics, as we call it. Um, it's a two-hour class where people just want to, you know, learn more about Indian cuisine or Mexican cuisine or baking bread, whatever it is. Uh, and it's basically hands-on. They do some work, we do some work, and by the end of two-hour period, we'll have a finished product that hopefully is edible. And um, <laughs> then we do a ten-week boot camp, as we call it, a semester at Braise. And that is more uh, three hours every week on a certain night, and that is more intense. They're they're doing chopping, cutting, cooking things, and we start from knife skills, stocks and sauces, you know, bread making, meat cookery, fish cookery, all the things I learned in the culinary school, condensed down to a ten week program, and then. 
after that, like I, I didn't really even envision this, but we, um, students wanted to do more. So we started creating a 201 and a 301 and a 401. And it's just kind of grown into into a whole nother aspect. So now our restaurant's open five days a week. We do classes five times a week, sometimes six or seven times, where we do a class in, in the morning and then class in the evening as well, private classes. So it's really turned into its whole thing, which is great because I'm a little bit slower now as I'm aging in the kitchen. So my chefs don't want me in the kitchen as often. So I'm actually now, you know, in, in with a guest in with culinary guest, school. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Get and that's kind of the natural evolution of a restaurant. You know, I, I, uh, I love the fact that people can't tell a dish that I created or my chef, Matt Plummer, created. And that, to me, is a testament. That's what I'm most proud about. Because I don't need to tell people like, that I'm there in, in behind the kitchen or behind the stove all the time. Like we had a group in uh, the French Film Festival a couple weeks ago on a Monday night. And they want me to talk about, I don't know why they want me to eat, but they want me to talk about some <laughs> things. So we talk about like the history of the building itself and where Braze was kind of like, you know, we're, we're conversing, conversing today. So I can definitely talk about that kind of stuff. But then they started asking me about the food. And I'm like, well, I didn't create your food. I did not cook your food. You know, so Matt did. So after the dinner, Matt's going to come out and talk about the food and answer those kind of questions. Because I don't want to be that type of or, okay, come to my restaurant and they think I'm doing everything. You know, I'm cooking. I'm running culinary school. It's not true. It takes a whole staff to do that. And I'm not going to try to pull the wool of people's eyes by saying, okay, you know, I'm doing all this. So, I mean, Matt Plummer's been with you since day one. I have some managers, you know, Becky um, Burnt that's been with you since day one as well. I have a number of people that stay, you know, three, four years is kind of the, you know, I mean, we've been really lucky with people, staff retention on that on that, on that level, which has been really great and allows that, me to do That's the really something special in that industry. Yeah, it is, and something that I, that's uh, that's what I love seeing seeing that because I want them to stay. I want them to get what they need out of it for their where they want to go in life, and then if it's opening their own restaurant or another different type of business, whatever it is, you know, yeah. um, and then see them succeed at that. That's what really I like, and I love the fact that people can come in and not know a dish that I created or Matt created or one of the cooks helped create, you know, whatever it may be, and that's kind of a really nice thing. Because I I've been in restaurants where. You know, I'm the one doing the chef de cuisine is doing all the work and creating the menu, doing that stuff. And then the chef owner would come in, you know, and talk to this group of people and say, oh, yeah, I'm the one that's doing the work. That's interesting because half an hour ago you were watching an episode of Golden Girls at your home. <laughs> so how can you? You just pull gold uh, girls on there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like how can you actually be cooking the food when, <laughs> you know, how, like five minutes ago you were watching Golden Girls. So oh. it's like it's stuff like that that um, kind of just the, you know, re- kind of unveiling what goes behind the restaurant scenes. I just don't want to do that. So, you know, when people come in the restaurant and see that, like, hey, yeah, no, that's Matt's dish. That's great. And and I, I really love that aspect of the restaurant. And it's really cool that you promote from when it, with inside of your restaurant and that they've been there as long as they have, you know, it's really a testament of the the culture that you've built within that restaurant from the stay there and to be able to, uh, you know, you know, edify your staff, your your chefs to go, hey, these are the guys that are doing this creating, you know, I, like you said, I'm behind the scenes now. Like, yeah, this is my restaurant, but, you know, now I'm teaching people how to do this. You know, I'm in the schools and, and you have a system put in place, which is, which I applaud because you go to places and, and you, you don't have a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, growing up in the in the French world, it was it, it that wasn't part of the aspect of it. It was learn for your own and then then move on. And there wasn't a lot of growth with, with, within. But then looking at how to really like selfishly, it's the best way for me because if 
I don't do that. I have to be the one behind the stove all the time. And I don't want to be that person. So like you have to find the right people as well that kind of work with you and, and want to be there. And then just giving them an environment to do that. And it's great to, to see that growth. And that's what makes me the happiest. So it's a win-win for, for everybody. And so that's what I kind of, you know, what I really uh, like about the restaurant industry and I like about what we're doing at Braze. And again, it is not all about me. It's, all, you know, the staff. I mean, there's no way one person can run a restaurant and do that kind of no. stuff. Everybody has to, you know, contribute to it. And that's, that's cool. the great thing about it. What, what, what are some nuggets that you would give, you know, someone that's, you know, listening to this and saying, you know what? I love cooking. I don't know where to start. And, you know, I mean, what would you give, you know, advice to someone that's, you know, just getting started regardless of what stage of their life they're in? Well, we have a lot of people that just kind of like, you know, are peeking, you know, into the restaurant industry. Like, okay, yeah, I'm retired from this job. I now want to do something different. Um, go to a restaurant that you like, that you kind of, you know, um, you know, look up to. Uh, we do a lot of things, you know, the French term of staging where people come in and kind of just work see behind the scenes there's a lot of times people have a uh not a you know uh, kind of a, a a great view of the restaurant industry or they see things on tv and think that that's how it is uh they think the restaurant industry is very romantic and very easy and stuff like that and they kind of just go oh yeah i'll be cooking then i'll be on a magazine or get a tv show and stuff like that and it's that's a lot you know it's that, that's no, not the reality of no, it. no it's not so <laughs> when I, so people want to see that it's like hey come in and, and work in a restaurant kind of just work for couple hours and then I'll feed you, you know, off the menu, sit down at the bar, have dinner, have a glass of wine, but kind of see what the cooks go through on a daily basis and what actually is going on because you're on your feet all the time. You're working on nights, you're working holidays, you're working when other people in your world are off and enjoying themselves. So you have to be really strong internally to understand that. Because you can't be asking, oh, I want off on New Year's Eve. I want off on these holidays. That's our busiest time. That's when we make the most, that's when we make the money. Because a lot of times we're losing money then a few times a year that we actually make money. So on Valentine's Day, hey, guess what? You're working. You're working. You know, so it's not <laughs> like, you know, you can't take your sweetheart out for that. So there's other things you have to do to, to make that work. So a lot of times it's just, you know, people want to get into this industry. It's one is kind of showing them the reality of it. Then two Call a restaurant that you like and then say, hey, I want to kind of work and see behind the scenes what's, what's going on. Or what, how did you get to your level? And chefs and restaurateurs are very um, apt to kind of show you what they – I mean, they are love to do this. They love to get people involved in, in cooking. So they will show you like, hey, come in. I'll show you how to make this dish or I'll just give you a peek behind the scenes of things. That's a great way to understand it. And nowadays you have so many aspects of food, whether it's cooking in a restaurant, you know, food trucks, preserving, making your own business on jams or jellies or whatever it may be. Um, you know, journalism. I mean, around talking and, and I mean, podcasting around food. I mean, who would think about podcasting <laughs> around know, food? I, I, you know, I want to do this. You know, this is an idea I have because, you know, we've talked before and I love to cook. And I know the restaurant business because I worked in it as a teenager and all like that. And I see it. And it's just, that's not me. I love cooking at home. <laughs> I love cooking for other people. And and one of the things that is on my list is to create a podcast around food. And it, in my mind, it's like, how do you visualize that by listening to it and talking about it? Because food is so in your face and you taste it and you, you can smell it. So 
how do you bring that into a podcast? And I'm still yeah. trying to figure that out. When you've invented Scratch and Sniff podcast, right. then, then you'll have it. You know, that's, <laughs> Scratch and that's Sniff it. podcast. Exactly, because it is, it is that. It is that, you know, that experience of smelling something, seeing something. Uh, when you look at, like, shows that are on TV, you know, like food shows, like, if you look at the hue and contrast of the shows, like, everything's just bumped up to, you know, to 11. You know the contrast on seeing the colors and the and you know seeing the flames of somebody tossing a, a saute pan. So those are very you know aspects of of food that you know twenty years ago it was all about just cooking and that was it cooking in a restaurant and that was it. There wasn't all these extra avenues for people around food to explore. So you know when people want to get into the industry, just kind of seeing the different aspects of it. And you know as restaurateurs and chefs, we love to show people that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a very open world comparatively to how it was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, what you can do on the internet now and, and research about food and stuff like that and go to different, you know, chef steps and all the things to learn about, hey, how to do this, how to break down a chicken, how to do this kind of things. It's it's really interesting. I mean, our learning curve is so much more condensed nowadays than it was 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's just, it's great to see that. Yeah. Because now you don't have this, have this long evolution of, you know, um, apprenticing for five, six years. Now you can do that in a year and just kind of immerse yourself in, you know, going online, reading books, seeing all this kind of stuff where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. You would have to learn from a master and they would, you know, like going to Le Francais, like when I was doing savory food, I wanted to learn how to do some pastries. I would go in the morning at six, knock on the door and the pastry chef would say, no, come back. Come, come back when you're ready to start, you know, like at your, your normal time. Then go the next morning, come at 6 in the morning, knock on the door. I want to learn how to make creme brulee, stuff like that. No, you can't do it. So by the fourth time, fourth day of knocking on the door, he's okay, now come in. I'll teach you how to do this kind of stuff. And that's how you learn. That's how you learn back then. Now you learn it by, okay, I'll go to Chef Steps. How do you make a creme brulee? And in, in 22 minutes later, you're making creme brulee. You know, it, took, it took me four days, you know, knocking on the door. Just to get in the door. Just, you know, with, with Alejandro, like, Alejandro, teach me how to make a creme brulee. You know, so it's, it's stuff like that that's kind of, you know, it's it's a different different context nowadays. And, it, it's, you know, and there's always good with bad with that. But it's it's something to see that that learning curve, how how more condensed it is nowadays. What's got you fired up about the future? Um, there's a lot of things. I mean, food is so dynamic. Um you know, food security is one of those big things with where, where farms are at, uh, making sure farms are viable, seeing how large farms are, you know, taking over the commodity, the commoditization of, of food. Um, you know, what gets me fired up is is making a different aspect for a different avenue for people to explore food in, whether it's, you know, small farming, get people into farming, uh, understand there are so many different aspects of food and, and give people the idea that, you know, it's not the the end all be all of things that you have to buy from these broadline purveyors. You can do a number of different things and kind of give it a different avenue for things we want to do, and to make a a viable living where it's um, you have a balance of life. So those things kind of showing people that yeah, you can do the things you want to do, and you can have a balance of life, and you can you know you don't have to prescribe to what's what's commonly out there. There's a lot of things that you can do, and so in the food in that sense is just like you know you can have a you don't have to have a thirty year chef career anymore. You can work as a, as a chef for five years. Go and do journalism. Go and do a number of different things that you may subjects that you want to touch on and to have you know some passion for. 
So it's a great thing that just you can dabble in a lot of different things nowadays. That's really cool. So guys, if you're listening, I know you are. Uh, to get more information about Braze Restaurant, go to brazelocalfood.com. From there, you'll be able to see the events, the schooling, behind the scenes, uh, private dining, and so much more. Check it out. It is really a great restaurant in a really cool area of Milwaukee. Is it? It's Milwaukee's Point area? Milwaukee's Point, yeah. Yeah, so we're over on uh, 1101 South 2nd Street in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53204. So now we get into some rapid-fire questions, Dave. But before we get into that, you get to ask me one question, and I'll do my best to come up with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Scratch and Sniff Podcast. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I wrote that down. I, I, I got that down. You know, it's like it's been on my list to do. It's like I, I just I'm not sure where to go with it yet, and and it's I'm, I don't know. It's like I do. It's like one thing is like do I interview, you know, um, restaurateurs like yourself, or, you know, do I talk about certain dishes? So I'm, I'm really like, I, I have this broad idea, but I have to bring it down. And I wrote down here, and I hope no one steals this from me, but Local First Food Podcast. And, you know, talking with the, you know, restaurants like yourself, and talking about what they're doing and how they're doing it, and, you know, how they're helping others other than just having a restaurant out there. So, and that's what I like about this conversation is that it's more than just a restaurant. You're doing so much more than that. And you can have that conversation on, on, on a podcast. But to talk to us about a specific dish, I'm, I'm, tonight I'm making spring chicken stew. I'm like, how do I explain that over the, you know, over that, you know, instead of like, oh, here's the ingredients, you know, and I'm, <laughs> so, so like, I don't know yet. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And, you tra- know. and trademark, you know, local food first, first podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> trademark. Yeah. All right. So here we go. I'm going to ask you a few questions and then we'll wrap this up. All right. If you were to give a TED talk outside of your expertise in food and restaurants, what would it be? Outside of my expertise, I would talk about food systems, how food is you know, grown, um, what we're putting in our bodies, the nutritional part aspect of that, and kind of um, the food choices we make. Every time we eat something or buy something related to food, we are voting a yes for that. Yeah. So if you are buying stuff from fast food restaurants <laughs> and you don't like the health consequences of that, well, you voted for yes for that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, let me see. Here's one I haven't asked in a while. What is something really weird or unsettling that happens to you on a regular basis? Well, we have a ghost in the building. It's really? a friendly ghost. Does um, it have, does so ghost old, have a name? Um, no, we haven't named him yet, unfortunately. But it, or her. Him or her. her, him or her. <laughs> so the, old, the building was an old bowling alley. And it was a, uh, a manual uh, pin setting bowling alley for a number of years. And then in 64, they put automatic pin setters in. So we have uh, sometimes when I'm uh, in the very beginning, late at night, at 2 in the morning, locking up, leaving, stuff like that, all of a sudden the internet would go out and go downstairs. And all the pins from the modem are pulled out at 2 in the morning. I'm the only person there. Uh, it's wow. a, it's kind of weird stuff like that. Kind of so I, I so my my uh, kind of theory is it was a manual pin setter that lost his or her job to the the um, the new Brunswick pin setters, and they don't like any technology. So the things that we our lights will go on and off in the, in the restaurant. Sometimes uh, we have motion sensors, and those kind of go off randomly. So anything technology based, the ghost you know doesn't like technology, but it likes people. So it's a good thing. 
That, are you like in one of the ghost tours down in that area? No, we're not. But Shakers is right down the street. Right, yeah. But it's one of those things. That, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, kind of seeing that. But yeah, we do yeah, have a ghost there. Wild. Yeah. So let's wrap this up. Uh, any ask or request for the audience, and any last party words for the listeners? Um, let's see. That's a that's a that's a good one. I would say just know what you put in your body. Know what you eat. Read the labels. And understand that fresh does not always mean fresh, unfortunately. Fresh doesn't always mean fresh. I mean, you know what? You have to explain that to me. Well, a lot of times people think just because something is labeled fresh or, you know, not frozen, they think it's good for them. Okay. And fresh from a farm is very different than fresh on a food package. All around oh, okay. the country, okay. labeled, right. labeled Label. good for you. Yeah, and good, you know. Oh, okay. So okay. marketing terms so, come in and play yeah. havoc with our brains right. on what we think because so we I, we have a idyllic picture of mom and pop farmer growing stuff for us. Yeah. When you start looking at what these food companies do, you know these large food companies conglomerates. They kind of just conglomerates. They kind of take over and kind of it might be a picturesque name of a farm, but it's actually coming from a really big food. Exactly. Company. Okay. So, no, I got you because like for me, fresh is like going out to my garden and picking that food. And that's my idea of fresh too. That's my idea of fresh. Like I'm like going to the store and getting fresh out of the freezer. Well, that's why everything is labeled fresh on packages nowadays. It's fresh this. It's fresh that. And I was talking to somebody, and they're they're a delivery driver for one of a broadline purveyor. And, oh, this restaurant uses all this fresh stuff. Well, that's not fresh. I mean, it may be like in somewhat – it's not frozen, but it's not fresh. Right. Yeah. Very different meaning of that. <clears throat> All right. Let's carry this conversation online. If you got any questions for Dave, make sure you check out his website, braiselocalfood.com. Again, if you want to sign up for any of his classes, make reservations or get more information about what he does, make sure you go and visit him. Um, also, if you got any questions for myself, the host, Rob Kohansky with Local First Podcast, you can find me at Local First Podcast just about on any social media platform. Uh, Dave, I thank you so much for coming out and being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Rob. You're welcome.